Thank you, team. Wonderful. Um, today we're going to be doing an interview. Um, I'll be interviewing Isaac Broad. Um, and as you've seen with the cafe all happening, I'll explain a little bit about what's going on there as well. But before we do that, we're just about to take up our offering. So if you're new here, if Cornerstone isn't your home, please feel no obligation at all. There is no obligation. Even if you call Cornerstone your home and you're giving an obligation, don't give freely from your heart. Obligation's no good. Um, I just wanted to point out a verse maybe over the, the next few weeks, um, which, you know, if you're a Christian, you would have seen this verse a lot, maybe. I don't know, you've heard it talked about, just about tithing. Now, tithing's not a law that we, we have under the New Testament. There is not a law of tithing, but there's still a principle remains. So uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, the reasons that we do that or tithes and offerings as God puts on your heart. So this is Malachi 3, chapter, uh, sorry, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Just a little bit I wanted to highlight today is that there's food in the house. Now, in the old system of tithing, it was so that the priests and the Levites could have a living. Um, so basically, they were the ones who worked in the temple set up by God, and he said, you need to bring a tithe in so that these guys can be fed and looked after and not be uh, you know, destitute because they're busy serving God. But what I just wanted to sort of um, just get us to think about today, you know, is like, what do we want this house to look like? Do you want it to be a house where there's no food? Do you want it to be a house where there's a lot of food? And, and our giving does sort of determine that, you know, like, what is it that you want to see Cornerstone become? How are we investing in that as people who come here, that serve here, that live here? Um, is my giving helping to grow ministry, grow the church, whatever it is, or am I holding back from what I believe God should be? God is actually asking me to do? Because we don't have to listen to God. Does anyone know that? We can hear him but not listen. And it's really important that we, we understand that part of our giving is so that there's food in the house, so that as a church we can grow, we can grow ministries and all those sorts of things. Now, um, it's just part of who we are as Christians, isn't it? And sometimes we hold back and we justify things because um, we have certain mindsets. And I just really want you to be free to think about that. You know, what, what is it you want to see this house become? Who do you want it to feed? How much food do you want there to be? And of course there is a blessing attached with that which I'm not really looking at today but you can read it yourselves. Father God I just thank you so much that you love us. I thank you Lord for the opportunity to give and I thank you Lord that yeah you want to grow your kingdom and, and we're only part of that here at Cornerstone but we want to play our part. So I just pray that as we release finances those of us who are uh, uh, members of this church that just love coming, that love this place, that our hearts would be generous, Lord, so that we could have more than enough food in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Now, I'm just going to sort of set up a little bit here. Oh, they're taking up the offering. And um, as you have seen, there's a bit of work going on out in the cafe area. Um, and it's going to be called Corner Cafe. If you go out there, you'll see the sign. Yeah, it's very, 
apt, isn't it? Cornerstone on the corner, in the corner of the cornerstone on the corner. So it makes sense. <laughs> but there's been a lot of work happening. Isaac has been doing a lot of that manually himself. I've been doing some as well. Um, and people have been gifting in their labour to that. And it's looking really good, I think. It's just starting to really take shape as to what we want it to become. But there has to be purpose behind everything we do. And um, the, purpose is the purpose of us opening a commercial cafe is to begin to fund what we call Lifehouse. A uh, very old, old vision of the church, just been sitting there on the coals for a long time and it seems like God's fanning the flames right now to say this is the time to actually move out into the ministry that you've dreamed about and 10 years ago, basically, when um, I think it was about 10 years ago, me and Isaac were looking at it, talking about it, dreaming about it. He'd already had it somewhere else as part of my heart to what we'd like to do as a church. And this is why we're, we're doing that. Now, Isaac received a beautiful gift from a friend down in Brisbane, $10,000, to help do that cafe up, get it ready. Nothing came from this church for this second part of it at the moment. It's all been funded by outside, which is amazing. That's because the guy believes in what Isaac is doing. You can see the, the work of, of what, what wants to be done what God is calling us to do, and he said, I want to invest in that as part of my kingdom investment. That's what I'm doing. So all this has been happening, and it actually hasn't cost us really anything at the moment, this last stage. Obviously, we've poured in funds before that. Each one of us has given um, as God's laid on our hearts, and people have given into it amazing gifts over time. And we're where we are because of the generosity of people believing in the kingdom of God, that, that's part of what we are and who we are. So to me it's very exciting. We're looking at opening on the 9th of January as our official opening. It's going to be pretty simple to start with. We're not, you know, super duper chefs and know everything about kitchens and cooking and that, but we want to start really doing that so we can fund the position for Isaac to actually move into Lifehouse areas eventually. So it'll be a transition over, um, which I think is pretty exciting. You know, I think it's great, and, and to be able to use what comes in for the ministry is, is a blessing, really. Um, and it is part of the vision. That, that area, that kitchen, is not because it's an accident. You do things, you plan things, and it's hard sometimes because you haven't seen the outcome yet, but you've got to put things in place. We couldn't do it without it. And it almost sometimes seems a bit surplus to your needs, but when you look at God's greater vision in your life, you have to remember that he's got a bigger picture than you'll ever have. In fact, it says that whatever we ask him, he's going to give us far greater than what we ask or even think. What we think is so tiny compared to God's thinking, so powerless compared to his power. You understand what I'm saying? That, that whatever God has for you, if you're missing out on something today, just let me encourage you. If you've been praying for something and you think, I didn't get that, the only reason you didn't get it is because God's got something better. Far greater than you could ask, think, imagine. God's got something better. And we, we need not be disappointed because we have a God who is on our side that loves us. In fact, he proved it by sending Jesus when we were his enemies. When we were his enemies, he sent Jesus. And now sometimes as Christians we think we're his family, but we feel that God is not for us. Come on, when we were his enemies, 
Jesus died for us. You know, how much more now that we're his friends? And I love how Jesus said that, that God just loves to give good gifts to his children. Words straight out of Jesus' mouth. God loves to give good gifts to his children. That's his pleasure, his delight, is to shower his blessing upon us. Not because we deserve it, not because we're great kids all the time, but because he is always a great father. And so that's amazing. So I'd just like you to welcome Isaac to the stage and we're just going to have a little chat. (laughs) You got it? (laughs) And at the end we're going to be asking Vanessa up who's his wife. And she's just going to share a bit of her heart. <laughs> He's ready. Hmm. So before we start talking about what Lighthouse is and what we're planning to do in that area, I just wanted Isaac to just really share about his salvation, how he actually came to faith and met Jesus, really. Isaac, would you like to yeah. carry on? Okay. I shared, I think I touched on it briefly um, a few weeks ago when, when I was preaching, but I'll go into, I touched on it briefly, so I'll go into a little bit more detail. Um, but as I shared, I grew up in a Christian family. Um, my parents are missionaries. Um, and I, although I was raised in a Christian family, I went to a, just an ordinary, you know, ordinary high school and mixed with, with friends and people that kind of, as they do, lead me into, into a different lifestyle. And at a young age, probably 14, 15, was when I started sort of dabbling with alcohol and smoking drugs and that sort of thing. Whatever my friends was, were into, I was into that kind of thing. And so it, I guess at my, my point of meeting Jesus for the first time, I was a skeg, a skateboarder. I had like longer hair and, and um, part of that lifestyle was partying and, you know, living a kind of, a, I guess, a wild life, if you can live a wild life at 15. Um, but really wasn't walking for for Jesus at all. I understood mum and dad had a faith in something and that made sense for them, but that didn't relate to my situation at all. I've got friends that want to party and they've got other priorities. Um, and so my turning point was, was a moment in time that one night I was sitting in the back shed of one of my friend's houses. His parents were asleep. Um, we got the bongs out and we were about to drill some cones and we hadn't realized that the marijuana that we'd sourced that day was from a guy that had just got out of prison and he had laced, laced it in arsenic. So he'd, he'd basically cooked it in arsenic and then sold it as a bit of a laugh, I think. And so I was the first person to, to take in the smoke um, and immediately everything just went black. I could feel my heart racing at a thousand miles an hour and immediately I knew something was terribly wrong. Um, and I looked at my friends and I sort of, I just drifted off into unconsciousness. I could feel some things in a in sort of dull sense, but when I woke up, they dragged me inside the house and I was on a bed and they were slapping me and I could hear in the distance my name being yelled out, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. And I sort of, I think I was out for about half an hour and then sort of came to and I realized my organs didn't feel right, something was terribly wrong. Um, and in amongst it all, sort of lying on that bed in that state, um, I was aware of somebody else there with me, and it was like it was God. But I had been aware of him my whole life, really, but I didn't, I'd never felt him that closely. 
and I could hear him calling me by name. He said, Isaac, you are my son. What are you doing? <laughs> and I had made a commitment to him. I, ha- I wasn't, as far, as far as I was concerned, I was walking my own life. But it's like God earmarks people. And he'd said, you're my son. What are you doing? And I realized in that point in time, my only way out of death really was to get my you know, druggy friends to get down on their knees and pray to Jesus that he would take me out of death, basically. So in my, as I was sort of flashing in and out of consciousness, I said to my friends, you're going to have to pray to Jesus. Get on your knees and pray to Jesus that he brings me out of this place because I said I can feel I'm, I'm dying, like my heart can't go on too much longer like this and I'm going in and out of consciousness. And they just looked at me and they said, this better not be one of your jokes. <laughs> <laughs> It is not. And then I drifted off again and I I came to, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes later and they were on their knees all praying, Jesus, Jesus, please, please bring him back to life, Jesus. And and, um, to cut a long story short, Jesus Jesus met me there. Um, He brought me out of of that state of unconsciousness Um, and I said, can you call my dad so he can come pick me up, which is a big step for me because as far as dad is concerned, I was a good kid. and uh, he came and picked me up, and I was probably in a state, a weird coming out of drug state for maybe 12 hours. He sat up with me as my whole body was sort of convulsing, and I was trying to, you know, trying to hold it all together. And he just sat there with me. Mum couldn't look at me. Um, she went to her room. It was too hard for her. She was really upset. And Dad just sat there all the way through to the next morning. And then he's a real soft guy. My dad was softy. You never see him get angry. But that day, he's... <laughs> He slapped me across the face <laughs> really hard. And he said, that's for doing some really stupid things. And then he hugged me for a long, long time and said, but that's for coming home. Um, and in that moment, like, everything changed for me. I realized this faith that my parents had is somebody, is God. And he's, a, he's real. And I heard his voice tangibly. Like, I heard him and I felt him. Um, and so that next weekend I went into church and the long hair. Some of it, was, I started to try and dread it. I wanted dreadlocks. And um, I said to the pastor who, didn't, who hadn't seen me in church, I want to ba- be baptized tonight if I can. Like, I didn't even have a baptiz- baptismal service to organize. And he said, really? And I said, I want to give everything to Jesus. Like, he saved my life. And that night he did. He filled the baptismal tank and I was baptized. And from that day onward, God radically changed my life. Like the feeling, if you have never been, if you haven't come to the Lord before and you're, you're not saved here, the sensation of giving your heart to the Lord and going through the waters of baptism is like a completely clean slate in life. I woke up the next day feeling clean on the outside and on the inside, like a brand new person, completely different in every way. And it was, it's, the best, it's the best feeling ever. Um, and that continued on, and that really started, as soon as God was living inside me, that really started my heart for, for evangelism, and I shared immediately with my friends that were druggies at the time that I've come to the Lord, you know, um, and they knew obviously something had happened because I made them pray for me that night, um, and they left me. They, they weren't my friends anymore. <laughs> they didn't come to the Lord, and I lost all of them, <laughs> and so I needed to make a whole new group of friends, um, which wasn't hard. God's got an amazing way of, of doing that. Um, but my heart beat for, for evangelism and for, for youth ministry, really. I was working um, in my early... When Vanessa and I got married, I was 20, um, and uh, I was working in horticulture for the government, but that wasn't my heart. And I, in my spare time, we were youth pastors at our church in Alice Springs, 
um, and could feel that God, he really wants it, he's breathing on this and wants to do something with it. Mm. And so we, um, way back then, I said to Vanessa, oh, we can't do this, we've got to go with God's calling. So even back then, didn't we? We saw, we always selling everything. <laughs> we sold everything we owned and we hit the road. And I said to Vanessa, let's just go where God, God leads. And ultimately, he led us up to, to uh, Darwin and to Cornerstone in, in 2007. We rocked up at Cornerstone, took on uh, being youth pastors at Cornerstone um, in 2007, and, and I also put up my hand to um, head up Youth for Christ. And I was 27, so I was super young, um, but my heart beat for reaching young people yeah. um, with the gospel. And it's funny, because Isaac and me have this little conversation every now and then. I'm like, no, nah, you've got the gift of evangelist. And he goes, oh, I don't know if I do. And then he's just telling me I had this heart for evangelism. Did you hear him say that? Did he just say that? Yeah, heart for evangelism. It's in him that he wants the world to be reached. It's because I always have that picture of evangelists being those people telling people what to do. Now, everyone get out there and you do this because that's what Jesus wants. And I don't feel like I'm like that. But I do have a heart for seeing people come into the kingdom. I, you know, that's, yeah. it's built in there. And, and I think also for me as I see it, Isaac, there's this excitement of that relationship with Christ that you bring. And I love that. Like It encourages me. But I'm sure it encourages other people. And like, so when we talk about evangelism, I talk to Isaac and say, no, nah, that's not it. It's not like you get up and you have big meetings and lots of people come, but doesn't the Bible say that the role is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is very different. It's like you show them how to do this and work with them and love them. And, of course, you pastor people in that space as well. But uh, um, in general, you can see that when, when I talk with Isaac, I want to reach more people for Jesus. Now, isn't that the gift flowing on? And so that's how I feel that, that it is. Um, yeah, so Isaac came, he was doing youth pastoring here um, and also YFC, which was actually a big job um, uh, to run an organisation, again, by faith, everything by faith. And, and <laughs> as we talk about even him coming here to do this, it's a big step of faith. You'll see that there is a sacrifice involved, but it's going to be a season of blessing for him for sure. Um, but it's hard in the meantime, waiting sometimes. So they went off on their travels. We talked. We, we actually met in a coffee shop one day and Isaac wasn't coming to Cornerstone at that stage. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but I was just he, he, he probably asked me about Cornerstone. You know, what's going on at Cornerstone? What are you thinking? And I just had this thing in my heart, you know, and, and we've had prophecies of Lighthouse and this, that and the other, but um, that would be a beacon in the community and things. But in my heart, as, as I was thinking future thinking building and things like that, this is like 10 years ago and more, it's like, what do we really want to be as a church? I don't want to be a building of saints that just come together every Sunday, huddle up, go out into the world. Now, I understand within that, there are people here that are doing amazing things throughout the week. I don't think that's what it is. You can come to church to get that, that fellowship, the encouragement, the boost of your faith, because you're out ministering in the world. That's the point. Not, not that we you know, Christian Sunday, non-Christian rest of the week. We are Christians full-time. That's it. There is no part-time Christianity. It, it doesn't exist. You either are one or you aren't. And you live for Jesus or you don't. It's simple as that. It's, it's that commitment. And I started sharing with him about, you know, my heart for this community. We'd love to see maybe a woman's shelter. We'd love to see a community guard. We'd love to see this, that and the other, working with youth, whatever it might be. Um, and just tell me, Isaac, about your response to that. What, what were you thinking at the time? Yeah, well, we were, 
Yeah, we were on this, it was, there was synergy, like we had coffee and, and Neil started sharing. And at, at the time, I'd actually shared a really similar vision with, with the pastor of my church at that time. And he said, no, that doesn't line up with what, <laughs> with what I see our church doing. And I'm like, oh, that's weird, because <laughs> I'm here. Like, why would God be kind of giving me that? And then I met with Neil like literally two days later. And he started sharing his heart and I realized that God had been building something into me over the, probably a year before we met up. Um, when I was with um, Youth for Christ, obviously we're working with young kids that are um, really right on the fringes. So you're working with young people that are in prison. Some of them as young as 11 years old. Um, and I, we would go in there and meet with them and then meet with them outside of prison in that cycle of just before they go back in for doing stealing another car. Um, but meeting with their families and looking at where they're living and, and what's going on at home and realizing that there is so little hope for these young people out here. Um, that their parents are, they're so addicted to alcohol that they're not able to um, provide their kids with the right food to take to school. And some of these 11 year olds, like the one that was in the prison system, he would get, um, almost, he would get in trouble for being, you know, arriving at school late with his two young siblings not knowing that he's the only person out of bed at that time, frantically grabbing what he can to get the kids to school and then giving them a, you know, an onion in each of their lunchboxes because that's really all the food that was in the fridge. And there was this real stirring, realizing that these are the people that we're meeting. And, and yeah, I've got a heart for evangelism, and I want people to come to know Christ, but I need them to know that Jesus loves people, that when Jesus was here on earth, he didn't sit in some box, some church-like box somewhere and hope that everyone came to him. He walked the streets and he met their needs. If their needs were healing, he healed them. If their needs were food, he fed them. He was out there in the dusty, dirty streets with these people. And God began to stir this picture of what does it look like then for church to bridge the gap between church and the people that are outside there. And God started to birth exactly that same kind of picture, this picture of a church that was dynamic and had arms into the community, reaching out to all these people that were in that sort of hopeless fringes of society with different different opportunities that yet we're Christians and we represent Christ and we do want you to come into a relationship with Christ, but we have a vested interest in loving every aspect of your life. If you don't have a place to stay, we want to find you a place to stay. If you don't have food, we want you fed. Like, you know what I mean? Representing Christ as a body in all of its fullness so that we're like him when he walked the streets and they encounter him filling up their every need. Um, and so, yeah, when I met with Neil that day, Neil was sharing about women's shelter, and I'm like, oh, that burns in my heart as well. And he was sharing a very similar picture of how can we get, bridging the gap, how can yeah. we get church to not be a single building, but Monday, throughout, you know, Monday to Sunday, we are always got arms into the community, reaching and loving people and seeing them transformed their whole life, not just a simple decision for Christ. Yeah. And I think, like, sometimes we can get this sort of little confusion as Christians. We... We have the wrong motive, all right? Now, you'll have to listen very carefully so you understand what I'm saying. Some people will do good works so that someone becomes a Christian. That's not the right motive. We, we want them to. Of course we do. We want them to experience Christ, but we want to help people because we love them first and foremost, because of God's love flowing through us. So our, our motive is not, we're going to do something good, in return, you become a Christian. That's a wrong motive. It's like, we're just going to love you. We want you to become a Christian. We, of course we're going to share the gospel. How can you not share it if you're living in love? But the motive is not, we do good stuff so you become a Christian. That, that's not it. 
It's we love you. And we do good stuff because God loves us and he showed us compassion and kindness when we were his enemies. You don't have to be anything to us, just a person that we love. And, and it's, it's just a slight little sort of mind thing in our head, isn't it? Because sometimes we do that. It's like, if I do this, maybe they'll become a Christian. No, we do this because we love them and we pray for them to become, come to faith and know Christ. So this is what, what, like when Isaac's talking about bridging the gap thing, it's really, we want you to see that God loves you. That's the gap. The gap is God, you, sin in the middle. That's the gap. And Jesus' cross falling down so that you can get a cross. That, that love. Jesus actually bridged the gap between us and God. We were separated. Jesus bridged that gap. And we just want to show people that Jesus died for them as well that he loves them as well. And, and the whole point, the absolute whole point of Christianity is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with people. There is nothing else. Uh, so I was thinking about it the other day and because um, I was like, well, what's the point of Christianity? Has everyone ever thought that? Why do I even bother being a Christian? Now, I wasn't thinking it like that. But what's the point? I have in the past, it's like, well, what, what is it? Why do I be a Christian? So, you know, and you'll think it sometimes, is it so I have to obey rules? Is it so I have to do this, have to do that? It's nothing to do with that. If you think the start of the world, what was it? God in relationship with Adam and Eve. That was it. They didn't have to go to temple. They didn't have to go to church. They didn't have to obey rules because they hadn't sinned yet and the law hadn't come into effect or, or things like that. The only one thing that they had to do is not eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. But it was relationship. God spending time with his kids, loving on them, feeding them, giving them everything that they need and them spending time with him. That's it. And we complicate it so much that to be in faith, I have to do this, have to do that, have to know. You just have to be in relationship with God. And out of that relationship, everything good, everything perfect flows. And that's, that's what we want to do. So these gaps are really just to, to let people know that we're not weirdos, in a way. <laughs> Does that make sense? We are a little weird sometimes. But, you know, it's not, we're just people like them that were lost and broken like them. And I was saying that to Isaac before we started because he, he asked me about his testimony and he said, oh, what about, you know, when I took drugs and all this stuff happened? I said, absolutely. Because I know that there's people that come to church and they look at everyone and think, oh, they're all so perfect. Look at them, they're so perfect and they feel like they don't belong. But the truth is that person that you see that is so perfect in front of you was you 10 years ago. That was you they were addicted to drugs. They were, were lost. They had relationship problems. They had loneliness. They had emptiness. But Jesus came into their life. And we need to know that that's what happened because God is a transforming God. And, and that's what we want people to see and know. So we just want to talk a little bit about Lifehouse now, how, how you're seeing it to evolve because we're, we're going to start doing it. And as I said, the first step, cafe, get it up running. And even in part of that, there's some Lifehouse stuff in that. Um, can you just explain sort of the progression that we're looking to do? Yeah, ultimately the vision for Lifehouse is like the cafe is the very first step in becoming, really opening our arms to the community and saying, hey, look, you know, we want to love you guys. And yeah, it's open commercially so anyone can come in and they can, you know, buy coffees and that sort of thing. And it also helps support the growing of Lifehouse. But once we've been running for, I would say, maybe six months and it's, it's viable, obviously we're selling, we're making some money, things are working the way they need to, um, then I would start to, or myself and someone else probably would start to make connections again with um, 
the juvenile detention centre. So head in there maybe a month before release and meet up with the kids. Um, I love going in there. The, the, although they're, they're young kids locked up in prison, oh man, their hearts are so, so soft. Um, and they've just had, yeah, a really tough background. So to go in there and to meet with them and work out, okay, who are the ideal sort of candidates to come and to be trained up in a skill? So uh, the initial skill obviously would be becoming a barista. So you've got both male and females that are locked in the, in the prison system. So it would be to take on two or three trainees in the kitchen um, during the day, so that would be, a, you know, when the cafe opens at sort of 7 to 2, it would be training mode, so they would get a Cert 2 and hospitality out of that process, uh, which is obviously the first step in them getting jobs and doing other things. But for a lot of the young people in the prison system as well, we need to have more than likely a homework centre that kind of runs in conjunction with what we're doing, because a lot of the young people, they um, str have struggled a lot with school. There's no assistance at home. And if they struggle in, in class, usually they've started a fight or something, so they, they get in trouble rather than are found out to be dumb. Um, and none of, them are, none of them are dumb. Uh, they just haven't had someone you know, sitting alongside them and actually helping them through the process. So yeah, the first step would be creating, opening our arms and saying, look, we've got a training centre here for young people. They come and become a part of that during the day. Um, and then as soon as it finishes for the day at 2.30, once we've cleaned up and finished, Certain days during the week, we'll also have other stuff going on in the church as well. We can say, hey, we've got like a worship service or a youth night or whatever it is going on. You can be a part of this if you want to. And so really it's encouraging. So they get to see firsthand what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Outside. Well, they'll see it anyway in the workers that are, that are in the cafe. But this is the first step. This is us reaching into community saying our doors are open and we genuinely want to bring people to see that God loves them. And, and you build relationships and get to know what's your home life like. Oh, it's unstable. I'm couch surfing at the moment. What can we do about that? So as soon as they come in, they get to experience that kind of love that we're talking about, where Jesus cares about their whole life. And so um, the Corner Cafe is really step one. If we fast forward, fast forward a few years? Yeah. So if we start fast forwarding to hopefully in 12 months after the cafe's open, we can start looking at, we've got a massive shed out the back there that's not being utilized for anything. I think men's shed's going to be starting there soon. That's going to be another awesome arm into the community. But to start Cert 2 in horticulture. So young people can come. Um, guys are probably more interested in horticulture than they would necessarily being baristas, but we'll, we'll see. But again, you're offering them that. So we could start a community garden there that um, services the, the cafe. And then it opens up ministry opportunities. Hopefully, the more arms that, we, that are reaching out and the more things we open, it, it provides ministry opportunities for the church here as well. Because um, I know there's a lot of people that come in and they're like, oh, I don't like upfront ministry, it's not really my thing. Um, but you have a skill, you could be a mechanic, you could be a welder, you could be a, in construction, you could be involved in horticulture and realize that this is the first step um, that these young people will have in encountering Jesus in your life is to, is to volunteer or um, to be in a paid role, whatever it looks like in the future. Um, but essentially the church, so it will look like this on a Sunday. People will come in and instead of it being like a conventional church where they walk in for the first time, they've never been here before and go, oh yeah, it's a building and we do worship songs and then we go home. They'll walk in and go, 
what is this place? Like there's this vibrant cafe, there's a huge garden, there's a mechanics workshop that's fixing up, you know, people's cars for free, people that can't afford it as a ministry opportunity. And they see this hive of activity as they can see that ministry arm of Jesus just reaching out going, if you're hungry, we're going to, you know, we're going to feed you. And, and so it begins to provide all these, all these opportunities as well. Yeah. So first step's the cafe. Yeah. yeah. So that's really exciting. And, and you can see it already in process, like when Food for Life comes here on a Tuesday. Honestly, I love that. You see people come in that, that are in, have food insecurity, being able to purchase some food at a cheap rate. Um, but the best thing is we sit and chat. It's fun. It's great fun. People are great, really, overall. <laughs> you know, some might annoy us at times, but, but honestly, you know, people want to be connected. They want to be loved. I do. It's great when you're loved. It's, yeah, thank you, Isaac. <laughs> Isaac loves me. <laughs> warm fuzzy and um and just as Isaac talked about there how do you get involved in that you know um I think Matt gave a message a little while ago uh about you know Moses with the staff and and throwing it down and becoming a snake and and the thing that God said was take whatever's in your hand and use it honestly I think you know so many times as Christians we, we're on this path of trying to seek this gift that we've got or the calling and what is my gift? What is my calling? You know what? Half the time, what do you love doing and what are you good at? Start there. That's it. You don't have to search God for all these things that he's hidden away from you. If you've got a gift, it just grows out of you, but you use it. Because God is very, very, um, uh, very clear that if you've got a gift and a talent and you don't use it, whatever you have will be taken away. That's what it says about the good steward. That, that the good steward invested into the kingdom of God, used the talents, the time, the treasure, whatever it might be, but grew the kingdom of God. And that's what we need to do, is understand that our whole life belongs to him, every part of it. And it's not that difficult. What are you good at? What do you love doing? Just find people to do it with. Just walk alongside people and do it. And the natural life or the gift of Christ that goes out through you will naturally infuse into them. And that's the whole point, that we're just living out our life for Jesus, aren't we? It's nothing special. It's just our life, but back in relationship with him, the way it should be. And, and from that, everything else flows. So use it for God. So Isaac, if someone wanted to talk to you about how do they help or where can they be involved, um, like in my head, I'm thinking... Just like God says, that we have to be patient with faith. And honestly, like we, we looked at that parable of the sower a few weeks ago. And it talked about good-hearted people who patiently produce a rich harvest. That was the last verse that we looked at. We're patient and we're good-hearted and we move towards a goal. And I think sometimes we want everything right now. And obviously, some of these things are down the road and people here are like going, well, I'd love to do that. Is there a possibility to get involved now or, or how would you see that playing out? Definitely. Look, as we go through each part of, of the project, like even now, obviously, we had Nick come along. with Nick? Nick come along and help with that um, concrete countertop that we got out there. We poured it and... Fortunately, he was there because it's come up with this really, you know, nice surface, which I'm pretty sure Neil and you and I were doing. Yeah, we were looking at rustic. <laughs> it, it definitely would have been non-slip. Yeah. <laughs> 
But we still, we need to, we got pendant lights that need hanging like this week. Um, and we're, neither of us are sparkies, so we really can't do that. So we need, even, even that sort of thing, like if that's your skill and you're qualified to do that, I don't know how long it would take, maybe an hour or two, something like that, um, to hang those pendant lights. And then we've got, um, I don't know if Nick's coming in or not, for, we've got a plumbing job where we've got to actually plumb in the machine. Um, but there's heaps of little jobs. We've got to reorganize the whole kitchen, wash everything, work out how many plates we've got, cups, all that sort of thing, in the next few weeks. So if we're opening on the 9th, the closer we get to that date, the more I realize we've got to do. <laughs> I've never run a cafe before, so this is, we're really leaning into God for every step of the way. Um, you know, installing the point of sale with the FPOS and all that kind of stuff and dialing everything in, I had no idea. So every day I've been praying, Lord, I just committed into your hands, just pray that you would, you know, do what you need to do. But yeah, if there's, if there's any tradespeople with skills that want to approach Neil and I afterwards, um, we will definitely lock you into a certain time to do, to do jobs. And it means, because we haven't, although I had an amazing friend that heard about what was happening here and said, look, here's $10,000, when you're getting trades in to do things, it disappears really fast. Um, and so if we can get people that are willing to volunteer their services, it means we get more done for, for what we've got. So that would be amazing. Yeah, and I think we've done pretty well in that area. Yeah, so that's really, I just wanted to sort of start to let you know what's going on. This is long-term. Everything is long-term. It's, it's weird, like, you know, you want things to happen straight away. I do. You just want it to be there. Like, I just love to fast-forward this whole thing five years' time because it's going to be amazing. I know it. Just even as we think about the church itself, you know, we start off in a veranda and we're here today, but the vision's always like down the road. You've got to be ready, you've got to plan, you've got to think about, you've got to pray into because you want the Spirit of God going before you as well. You know, you don't want to be doing this on your own and, and I'm the last person that wants to build a kingdom. You know, like, it's too much hard work, really. It's, <laughs> it really is. You know, and I love that verse that says, unless the Lord builds a house, you're laboring in vain. And we don't want to do anything out of God's will. Isaac um, got offered a job in Darwin. Like, as he was coming up, we, you heard the story, I think, Isaac a few weeks ago just mentioned it quickly. He got offered a job in Darwin with a really, really quite good salary. He actually got offered it. I'm not saying he had the prospect of a job. He got offered a job. And he turned it down because he believes that this is what God wants him to do. All right. So the guy's now basically unpaid. You're crazy. <laughs> Bit of a mental case. <laughs> but I understand where he's coming from. I really do. You know that he knows what God's wanting him to do. I believe it's right for here. God is going to more than supply his needs as, as time goes by. But he's stepped out in faith. So this isn't just something that we're you know, we're giggling about and it's a good idea. This is something God planted. Isaac believes it, I believe it. We're praying into it and it will need prayer support, it will need physical support. Um, but eventually you will see in six months to a year that this is going to start to bring such a rich harvest into this place, um, which is very exciting. So I just wanted to invite Vanessa up now. She's just going to quickly share... This is Vanessa, Isaac's wife. Oh, is he going to crawl up there? Well done. You can have your seat. Yeah. <laughs> well, stride up there. Yeah. And, and um, Isaac just asked if Vanessa could just share a bit of her heart for youth and why she's sort of... I mean, Isaac couldn't do it without Vanessa's support. You understand that? If she didn't want him to do it, it wouldn't work. So 
Vanessa, would you like to just share with us a little bit about your heart? Um, yeah, the last, uh, a long time, last long time since we've had a heart for <laughs> the youth of Darwin. Um, whenever we've gone away, we've always said to people, we don't have the heart for wherever we've been. We have a heart for Darwin, but the last couple of years we've been travelling around. Sorry, my voice, I'm a bit nervous. We've been travelling around Australia and um, there, the last caravan park we were in, um, there was a couple of kids there that made friends with my son and um, I just, my heart went out to them. I knew they were, their, their parents were there and I knew that the kids were getting quite badly abused and there's nothing that I could do. And um, I've had the heart in me for a long time for these kids and I was up like quite late at night, like quite upset that they were, I didn't have the means to reach these children. Um, I could you know, dob them in to the authorities, but then they'd leave the caravan park and leave any kind of relationship that we had with them. And that's what would happen. That's the consequences of, you know, dobbing them into the authorities. And so I want to use as much time we had with these kids to impart to them, even though I knew they were going back home and into their caravans and all getting neglected. They were getting left at the caravan park and their parents were leaving and there was like four-year-old kids in the cold. And I said... You've got to come and hang at our, our place until your parents get back. Um, and so I just was up quite a lot, really upset about this. And I said, God, why do you give me the heart and not the means to reach these people? Like, it's happened be- with me before with young, young kids. I feel really sad for the situation they're in, but I don't have the hands to reach them. And um, I thought, if God's going to put us back into a place where we can influence youth, you've got to give me you've got to give me the heart, you've got to give us all the heart. I've got the heart, but he's going to give us the means to reach them and I want them to have a safe place here where they can come and they can be safe. You know, even if it's for a couple of hours, even if they do go back to their homes, they can come here and be safe and you can care for them and you can share with them Jesus. Even the last kid that I had, the one that was getting left at the caravan park, I shared... We, my son was talking to him and my son felt too timid to share with him about Jesus and I just, he came into my kitchen and I said, look, his name was Geordie and I said, Geordie, um, this might sound strange but, you know, we're Christians and we believe that God's hand's on your life, you know, and that he, he loves you and he looked at me like I was a wally <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, that's fine. And Elijah goes, thanks mum for sharing with him because I was too scared to. And um, we need to do more than that. We need to walk with these kids. Like, we need to have them come into our place and be safe and we can walk with them through the journey. And I want to see them come into a place where they're safe. And I really believe that's what Lifehouse is going to be, you know, just a place where they can come and be safe. Mm. Yeah. Yep. What about us? Thanks, guys. Hello, hello. Yeah, just one last thing. Um, I mentioned Nick before, and I just wanted to do a bit of a shout-out to Jason as well. He's been in, in helping out with cafe stuff pretty well every day last week, and he's my best toasted sandwich coffee tester. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> Man, he's come up with so many good ideas. Crispy cheese, you know, on the top layer and that sort of stuff. So, dude, thank you so much. <laughs>
Thanks, Isaac. All right, we'll, we'll finish it there, and I'll just pray um, for life. Yeah, stay up while we pray for you as well. Um, yeah, just commit this to, to the Lord, eh? Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, we've got a long journey ahead. We know it's going to be excellent because you're with us. So, Father, we're just praying with Lifehouse and all the things that are coming in the future, Father, that you would just guide our steps, our hearts and our minds, that we would love you and serve you in everything that we do. Just pray for Isaac, Lord. I just pray for abundance of a blessing upon him. Lord, for wisdom and, Lord, for grace and right doors to open as we start to really engage with community in different areas over the years ahead. And I pray for us as a church to just support and love people and, yeah, just be your hands and your feet in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Worship team, please come up. Thanks. Thanks, Isaac. Thanks. <laughs> just as Isaac was talking there, he just mentioned that you need to have a relationship with Christ. He was lost. He, be, he became found. Um, now, that might be you today. And I just wanted to give you the opportunity. I'm just going to pray. And if, if that was you today, you're just like, actually, I think I should become a Christian. I'm just going to pray. You can just pray with me and just ask him into your life and into your heart today. Um, and, and once you've done that, just tell your friend that you're with or come and see me after. I'll just be up here, up the front. Um, or fill in a green card that's at the back table and just write, today I made a commitment to Jesus and, and we'll give you a ring. If that's you today, I'm just going to pray and you can just ask him into your heart right now. Father, I just thank you that you sent Jesus. I'm so sorry that I haven't been your friend. Today I'm just asking you to come into my life and forgive me for everything that I've done wrong. From this day on, I just want to live for you. I believe Jesus died for my sin, that he was buried for me, that he rose again to life. And I just want to accept that salvation from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.